Welcome to The Take, where I sit down with actors, filmmakers, and world-class raconteers, and we talk about story, life in the biz, and what it all means. Today I sit down with Captain Dale Dye. If you like war movies, chances are you've seen a movie that Dale Dye was involved in. Known as Hollywood's Drill Sergeant, Dale Dye was a Vietnam War correspondent, earned four Purple Hearts, and after getting out of the army, sitting watching war movies and thinking, why do these soldiers resemble nothing like the soldiers that I know so well? Determined to change that fact, Dale packed up and moved to Hollywood and tried to get his foot in the door. His first break was on Oliver Stone's platoon. Oliver Stone was a fellow Vietnam veteran and trusted Dale to take Charlie Sheen, William Dafoe, Forrest Whitaker, and 25 other actors up into the jungle mountains of the Philippines for three weeks and gave them a taste of war. Made them sleep two hours, made them dig foxholes, sleep in the dirt, anything that could give them a sense of what it was really like. Well, obviously that worked, because Platoon would go on to win four Academy Awards and a monster hit at the box office. Following that success, Dale Dye was in business. A call from Steven Spielberg cemented his legacy when Steven wanted him to do a similar task on Saving Private Ryan. Dale Dye and Spielberg came up with an amazing idea. Why don't we take Tom Hanks and his platoon and put them through a training regiment while leaving Ryan, played by Matt Damon, completely out of it. That way, when Matt Damon shows up on set, there will be a clear distinction between him and the rest of the platoon. As history would show, Dale Dye's tactics work. Saving Private Ryan would go on to win five Academy Awards. Dale also has an illustrious acting career, acting in 85 credits, and is currently in pre-production for his own film, No Better Place to Die. In No Better Place to Die, Dale plans to hire as many veterans as possible. This is not only to bring a sense of realism to the screen, but also to give back and give an opportunity to veterans. Dale is an amazing war historian, I had a great time talking with him, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dale Die. Okay, so thank you. Uh, so again, thanks, Dale, for coming on. It's you know I'm a, a huge honor to get to talk with you. Um, yeah, uh, you know it's 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 crazy to look through uh, through IMDb at your credits because every every war movie or TV show that, you know, I would regard in my top five. And I would think, you know, anyone who you would ask would, you know, you've got a hand in. Well, it, it, I know it certainly seems that way. Uh, I'm, I'm often, I have to pinch myself a bit when I look at that, at some of the listings, but (laughs) it's, it's been a, a terrific opportunity, you know, to, to kind of, uh, accomplish my agenda, which has been for years, uh, simply to 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 shine some long overdue and and much deserved credit on the men and women who wear our uniform, no matter what the period, what the war, what the conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and then uh, you know, I, I feel like, especially you know, the movies that, that really come to mind are are Saving Private Ryan and the the Band of Brothers series. And, you know, those uh, anytime anyone brings up a World War II movie, I feel like I have to hold it to Saving Private Ryan. Where I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's not it's no Saving Private Ryan. And yeah, can you go ahead? Go ahead. Yeah, we 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 set the bar pretty high with that one. I, I certainly uh, am, am proud to say that uh, Saving Private Ryan and, and Band of Brothers uh, are, are right at the top of my list of things I'm very proud to have had a part in. Uh, it's it's amazing to me how many legs those films have and, and where they get shown and and how much people want to talk to me about them. Um, they're just, uh, they're, they're really the way it ought to be done. Yeah. And uh, it, if we, I, I want to come back to this, but I, want, I was hoping you could give a little, uh, um, intro just on your introduction to on all of this so you were a uh you were a combat correspondent in vietnam correct yeah i was jake um it it was interesting i started my career as a rifleman uh, as an infantryman actually um in an 81 mortar platoon and uh, i i got 
frankly, I got bored with that. And I ran into a guy who said, uh, look, uh, you, you really seem to be doing well in the Marine Corps. You seem to like the Marine Corps. What's your problem? And I said, well, my problem is, you know, I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, and I keep reading and hearing and seeing about all the things the Marine Corps does. Uh, but I, I, I can't get close to him. All I hear is sea stories. And he said, well, listen, have I got a deal for you? <laughs> and he introduced me to, you know, usually that's bad news. Yeah. Usually the minute somebody says that to you, you want to cut and run. But uh, sure. but what he what he said was there is this very, very small field in the Marine Corps um, that involves um, writing and, and photographing and telling stories about your fellow Marines. Mm-hmm. And if you're good enough you can do anything your little heart desires that the Marine Corps does. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a blank check to go and, and see how things work and, and who people are and so on and so forth. Well, that was, that was enormously enticing to me. Um, and so I applied um, to, to get into that field, uh, was accepted. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was uh, I was what they call a combat correspondent in uh, in Vietnam with the First Marine Division, wow. and I quickly learned that the emphasis uh, in that title is on the uh, first word, uh, combat, because <laughs> it was it was really about running to the sound of the guns. Wow! Um, you you had to be where the action was happening, or you couldn't do your job. You couldn't do your mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, where, where a normal unit goes out and uh, stays out in the field patrolling and, and busting caps for a week or two weeks um, and then comes back and refits and rests and gets the next mission, we never had that break. I mean, we, we'd, we'd finish up with one operation and the next thing you know, the word would come down, okay, move over to 2nd Battalion, 3rd Marines, they're going, get on it. So, and, and so that's, that's the way the whole thing went. That's nuts. That's like the, uh, are you familiar with like the red zone NFL channel where it just shows the scoring? It's like, you're just like running from combat. You're, you're just getting the like climax of all these, I mean, just one after another that had to be yeah. very, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you could tell very quickly, you know, when an operation was going to be a walk in the sun, uh, you know, and the word would come down to you, leave that one and run for this one. And you'd go to the next battalion. The neat thing was that um, you, you really got to know the guys and the guys got to appreciate you because the absolute, the absolute bottom line was that you had to hump your weight. You could not be yeah. an attachment that didn't bust caps when the time came and, and you could not be the guy who didn't stand radio watch or go on OPs or you, you couldn't be that guy. You had to be a functioning member of the unit. And if you were, they loved you. They absolutely loved you. Oh, wow. And of course, the I think the Academy Award, if there is such a thing, uh, of that whole deal is that you you do these little stories, um, you know, not not the stuff that the civilians did, but the little story about the you know the Rudy in the rear rank with a rusty rifle who never gets any recognition, and you'd do a little story about him, and then you'd show up two weeks later or three weeks later and go on another operation with the company, and this kid would come running up to you. With a with a uh, a clipping from the Pucky Huddle, the Pucky Huddle Weekly Journal, you know his hometown newspaper. And there yeah. was your story, and his mom had clipped it and sent it to him, or his girl had clipped it and sent it to him, and and you know that that was that was the reward. That's that's what really made it uh, a great way to if you got to fight a war, it was a great way to fight one. Yeah, it had to be very rewarding that you were able to shine light on on a lot of these soldiers yeah. just kind of get washed over. Yeah, and and I carried that whole I carried that whole mission, uh, that whole incentive over into what I do now. Uh, it's the same thing. I want to shine some light on those guys humping the 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 patties and the and the hills of Afghanistan and the deserts of Iraq and and that sort of thing. They deserve yeah. it, and they deserve it in the popular media where people pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. and that's that's kind of where I'm going. So when was it like a, a switch all of a sudden you, when you were doing this corresponding, they were like that you thought I should, I'm, when I'm done with this, I'm going to go to Hollywood or how did no. that, <laughs> that was, no, no, uh, listen, I, I didn't have those kind of delusions of grandeur at all. Yeah. Um, 
when when I finally retired, you know, I had I had gone through the mill and I'd been commissioned and I'd been through a second sort of semi-combat tour in Beirut, Lebanon in, in 82-83. Okay. Um, and I decided to retire. Um, and, and I really didn't know what the hell to do with myself. I mean, I knew that if, you know, if I went into uh, the corporate world as a defense contractor or something like that, I'd immediately turn into a bar fly or, or kill myself within six months of cubicle uh, incarceration. Yeah. Because it's just not my nature. I mean, I've always been a storyteller. I've always been a kind of an outgoing guy. I'm, I'm the guy around the campfire who tells these great ghost stories. I'm that guy. Okay, you got them. Okay, nice. Yeah, and, and so I, I really couldn't figure it out. And, and I, I, I got to sitting down with some friends and, you know, we'd watch military movies. I mean, I think I had seen every military movie there was. And, uh, and, and we, we talked about it. And to me, the common denominator was the vast majority of them just pissed me off, Jake. I mean, <laughs> because they didn't reflect who you are and who I am and how we treat each other and how we act and how we think. And yeah. how we talk, and I'm not talking here about just the the simple stuff, you know, like carrying an M16 in World War II, or or having the the ribbons on the right side of your uniform. People made that mistake of carrying an M16 in World War II. Oh, it it, it was atrocious. Some of the stuff that that you would see. Yeah. And I and I said, well, I can't figure that out. What, you know, they they say they have technical advisors. Who are these guys? You know, and yeah. and. What are they smoking? You know, how can they how can they conceivably get this all wrong? So, you know, just on a kind of a whim, frankly, I, I decided to come to Hollywood and see if I could find out how these gross errors were being made all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I did. And uh, what I found out was there was a certain uh, attitude in Hollywood and, and I call it Hollywood hubris. Which is, which is an attitude that says, look, we don't need any help in telling war stories. First of all, because we've told them for years and years and years and made zillions of dollars. And second of all, nobody who wore a uniform for 20 years of his life could conceivably have a creative bone in his body. I mean, huh. if, if, he, if he had a creative bone in his body, what the hell is he doing in uniform? Why isn't he out writing books or making movies? Mm-hmm. And there was there was truly that sort of, of misunderstanding of who we are. Yeah. Um, and so I said, well, you know, that I know that's wrong. That's just dead wrong. Yeah. Um, and and if if they just let somebody who really understands it and who is a good storyteller, who understands the difference between a documentary and a and an entertainment vehicle, if they just listen to us uh, and and let us let us work to teach the actors who we really are and how we act and how we think and what we feel. If I could just get to that point, I could improve war movies or or television programs about the military. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. Um, Unfortunately, the folks in Hollywood didn't necessarily share that vision. (laughs) Uh, And, and, you know, they, they just throw me off the lot and, uh, and say, yeah, get out of here, kid. Sure. And it was really a, a, a tough uphill struggle. And uh, you have to understand back in those days, uh, and, and I'm talking here about the mid 80s, okay. uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't this honor for veterans. There wasn't this concern with veterans. So it, we were still in a, in a post-Vietnam sort of, uh, you know, the military is the last ditch of the uneducated, can't get a job folks. Um, and, and so it was really tough to convince anybody who hadn't been in the military that you had something to bring to the table. Um, and, and I got lucky, Jake. Um, what happened was I, I discovered a little, I'd learned to read the trade papers, you know, uh, Hollywood Reporter and Daily sure. Variety. And, uh, I discovered this little, um, article that, that said that a heretofore relatively unknown writer director by the name of Oliver Stone, <laughs> was going to do a, uh, a film uh, about Vietnam based on his own experience as a combat infantryman in Vietnam. And I said, Jesus, there it is. This guy will get it. 
Yeah. If I can if I can get through the gate guards and get to this guy and explain to him why I think previous military films missed the mark and and how we can do it right, he'll get it based on his own experience as a soldier. And and through a, a bunch of machinations that I really don't want to tell you about because the statute of limitations may not have run out. <laughs> uh, I, I was able to uh, to get to Oliver Stone. And in my, I did my best three-minute pitch. I said, look, here's what's wrong with the military movies that you've seen and I've seen, and here's how you can fix them. You got to train these guys. They have to understand who we were at 19 years old in those jungles and how we thought, how we related to each other, and how we felt. And he said, yeah, you know, that's right. Uh, and so he let me take um, 33 actors, including some people who weren't recognizable in those days, but certainly are now, like Johnny Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe and Charlie Sheen and, yeah. and Forrest Whitaker. Um, he let me take them into the jungles of the mountains of the Philippines for two weeks. And they lived with absolutely no outside contact. They lived just like you and I did when we were humping a pack. Yeah. Um, and, and I made sure they lived that way. And and I treated them just as we got treated, you know, in training and in combat. I had guys who were on my staff hitting them every night on OPs and night ambushes. And, you know, they would sleep maybe two hours a night if they hadn't pissed me off that day. If they had pissed me off, they didn't sleep at all. Uh, <laughs> and and we just went through this and every night. And here was the key. Every night I would have a thing called a stand down. Okay, and, it, and this was the chance for them to meet with me and uh, my executive officer and some of my cadre guys, all of whom were, were combat veterans, and to talk to us about how we not only what we wore and how we how we handled weapons and things like that, but but talk to us about how we thought, how we felt, mm -hmm. um, talk to us about emotions. And of course, actors, that's their life. Sure, they yeah. deal with those things. And so what we found was we, we gave them really profound insights into the mentality of combat men, um, into the mentality of how we relate to each other, into the mentality of thinking that there is something bigger and more important than yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's the mission and the guy on your left and the guy on your right. And, uh, and after that training, we went ahead and made this little $5 million film. Uh, called Platoon, and we brought it home, and just blew everything off the off the stage. We won we won four Academy Awards that year, including Best Picture and Best Director and and so on. And uh, and then my career was made, Jake. I mean, nothing succeeds like success in Hollywood. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Oliver had been very kind in the press and in, at the Academy Awards and recognizing my contribution. Um, and so uh, I, I sort of became the go-to guy for anything having to do with the war and with military. And of course, I, I realized when I formed my company to do this, that, um, you know, Vietnam was going to come, ar come around once, you know, in a blue moon. Mm. So I had to be the expert in everything. Sure. And I had to, everything military. And the neat thing is like most professional military guys, I was an amateur historian. I mean, I studied everything having mm -hmm. to do with any war, any military, um, any branch of the service. And so I was able to then bring that to any project that had to do with the military. I could take it on. I mean, we went all the way back from, you know, the ancient Greeks. Um, I did Alexander okay. uh, to to the future. I did um, Starship Troopers. Okay. So, so I was able to do anything, and that's what we pride ourselves on. We could do it all. You could do it all, and that, and you became you became Hollywood's drill sergeant. I like that. That's I like what that. Yeah, I guess that's what. They, I like <laughs> that's that. What they I, yeah. So that 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 is you're kind of like it's such a um a maverick in the field that no one had taken actors into what you, to what you did before. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. Did, I be I became I get I'll get to your question in a minute. Yeah. Let me just clarify. Uh, People had tried to do that, but they'd done it for a couple of hours during the day on a firing range or, you know, out in somebody's backyard. Um, and, and my method was full immersion. 
Yeah. My method is you're going to live like we live and not just spend a couple of hours fooling around with an M16. Um, so so it, 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 was, it was a continuation of the training methodology and, and made it full immersion. Okay, now I ask your question. Sorry. Well, I, I'm just curious how you, like, I would think that would be, you know, especially the first time this was done, that would be such like an insurance risk for all these actors. And how, how did you get, was it just because, you know, Oliver was a, a, a fellow veteran that he gave you that trust? Or how did you earn that trust to, to take those actors? Well, I, I think in the case of, in the case of Oliver Stone, yeah, it was, it was, he trusted me. He knew I was, you know, we'd sniffed each other's bona fides out and, and he knew that I was a combat veteran and, and knew what I was talking about. And, and we were shooting in the Philippines. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we, we were doing it on a dime budget. So, uh, I got away with a lot of things that I probably would not have gotten away had it been a big studio picture or something like that. Okay. Um, but, but later when it proved to be so effective, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the weenies and the wankers and the insurance guys sort of walked away and said, well, it works. Uh, and he, he's probably good enough to know not to kill anybody. Yeah. And, and so I built up a, a system of trust. Uh, okay. People knew I was hard. People knew I was going to put them, I was going to push them hard and I was going to make them sweat and was going to make them hurt. But they knew that I knew where the line was that I wouldn't kill anybody or, or injure anybody. I couldn't afford to. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I mean, do, uh, what was like, what was it like working with those actors out in there? Were they, were they hesitant to it or were they, I imagine, cause I'm an actor as well, that like an experience like that would be, I mean, you beg for something like that. Like that seems like a dream come true. To be well, the, the good actors, Jake, uh, <clears throat> loved it. Uh, sure, just, of course. just the way just the way you see it. Yeah. I mean, this is an opportunity to to train in something, to experience something that mm-hmm. I can put in my in my uh, actor bag uh, that nobody else has had. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so if they were good actors, good storytellers who were devoted to the cause of making a good film, telling a good story, they loved it. Uh, I, I got to admit to you and say to you that. Uh, it was tough. It was rugged. It was dirty, filthy, and miserable, and uh, and, and they didn't appreciate that. But, <laughs> and and you know neither did you and I when we yeah. were going through basic training and and combat training. So um, it it was a matter of there was a there was a good deal of small unit leadership involved. Um, you had to lead by example. They I had to show them the way and show them the spirit and show them the motivation. And they picked that up. Um, you, you couldn't, you can't do it by pointing and saying, go and do. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've got to, and, and this is, you know, leadership 101 here. You've, you've got to go and do it and show them how to do it. And then you've got to, you've got to do one of the things that I was taught long ago when I first became a, a leader as a non-commissioned officer. I had a, a really, really good uh, senior NCO say to me, listen, Corporal Die, there's one thing I want you to understand about leadership. And he said that your average trooper has a very highly tuned plus four bullshit factor. He's got a filter and you cannot BS them. You've got to love them to lead them. If they if they perceive that, they'll follow you through hell and back. And he was right. And I've always believed that you've got to love them to lead them. Mm-hmm. And, and that means caring for them beyond just teaching them things. And when they perceive that, you become that that mentor, that father figure, and they'll stay with you. Wow. Well, yeah, well it worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. And then how did how did you uh, get to be a part of uh, Saving Private Ryan? Was that just through word of mouth? Well, um, sort of. It depends on whose mouth and what word. Uh, yeah. But but the truth of the matter is that uh, I discovered later uh, that Steven Spielberg was a big fan of Platoon. He loved that movie, and he had seen my performance in it as Captain Harris, the the sure. commander, 
And he'd read all of the press that came out. It was a huge amount of press about how I trained the actors and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and he was a fan of it. And so when he decided to do Saving Private Ryan, uh, I got a phone call. I was, I was down on Ventura Boulevard in L.A. buying a suitcase of all damn things. <laughs> and and my, my cell phone rang, and it was Steven Spielberg in wow. person. Uh, you know, and that, that doesn't happen a lot. No, uh, certainly not to me anyway. Um, and he said, Dale, uh, you know, I'm a big fan and uh, I've, I've got this military movie and I really, really want you to work on it. I want you to do for it what you did with um, with uh, Platoon. And I said, well, hell yes. Uh, where, where do I go and, and who do I, you know? And so what occurred was we had a meeting, uh, Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, um, the producers and uh, and they said look this is this is world war ii do you know anything about world war ii and i said i know everything about world war ii <laughs> and uh and they said well how would you do this and i you know i read the script and i told them how i would do it and what i would do and and uh, i was hired and uh, the rest as they say is motion picture history now is, now is it true that you uh that Every, all the uh, actors went through like your boot camp, but Matt Damon did not. Yes, and that was that was very intentional. I yeah. talked it over with uh, with Steven uh, Spielberg uh, when I when I made up the training schedule to uh, take uh, uh, Vin Diesel and and uh, Jeremy Davies and Tom Hanks and mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Tom Sizemore and and the rest of the field. Um, I said, well, what about what about Damon? Um, playing Ryan and we thought about it and we thought about it and we said you know um, there is an attitude on the part of the guys who are in, in this the unit of rangers that are that are chasing Ryan trying to find him um, that that he's kind of a, a pariah he's mm -hmm. the reason they have to go behind the lines and, and go through all of this sort of thing so it, it's probably best that he doesn't form any kind of bonding relationship with him. And I said, yeah, you know, that's right. Uh, let's not, let's not include him. And, and so we didn't. And uh, later uh, when Damon showed up on the set, when Matt Damon showed up on the set, I had to take him aside and give him a separate individual uh, period of training. Oh. Um, and, and so that's how that went. And that was the reason it went that way. I, I just think that's genius because I remember hearing that story a little bit ago and, you know, just, yeah, because the, the whole, their whole unit has such animosity towards Matt Damon's character because, you know, they're, they're, they're dying and all struggling just to save him. They don't even know who he is. Yeah. And we really wanted that to come through, uh, you know, and a lot of guys would say, well, that's method, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's acting. That's what they get paid for is to create those. I don't believe it. Uh, and the reason I don't believe it is because you and I know from our experience that you bond with people when you're in extremis mm -hmm. and, and he, regardless of what the script called for, he would have bonded with those people if he'd have been in, in training with them. Yeah, absolutely. And so we didn't want that. And I, I also think it was a genius job. stroke. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Another thing I really uh, appreciate about Saving Private Ryan, compared to a lot of other war movies that I see, is that the uh, is the depiction of the enemy, the Germans. In that, uh, you know, you get to know the Germans. You get, you know, the one soldier who uh, is in that foxhole. Um, yeah, Steamboat the, Willie. Yeah. yeah, he's singing, you know, Betty Boop, and you get to know these guys, and you, they're they're humans, you know, which is what real life is. And then you see other movies where the enemy is just kind of like a, a video game bad guy. Uh, I wonder if you could talk to that. About. Yeah, I, I really can't, Jake. And and frankly, that's very perceptive of you to notice that, uh, because a lot of people don't. Uh, I know, yeah. Er, early in my career, um, I figured out that one of the things uh, that, that sort of upset me about military movies in general was that the enemy is, uh, you know, a, a cartoon cutout. Yeah. He's just, the, he's just the guy who's there to be blown away and turned, you know, and have his head disappear in a pink mist. Um, and, and he doesn't display any particular skill or, or any particular menace. And I know from my experience 
at war that, you know, the guys I were fighting were, were uh, damn good. Um, and they were deadly and they were vicious. Um, mm -hmm. And so I said, well, you know, if we're going to do this and if we're going to convey how dangerous close combat is um, and how challenging it is, uh, we need to make the guys we're fighting, whoever they may be, you know, whether they're Japanese, Germans, uh, Viet Cong, uh, North Vietnamese Army, North Koreans, Chinese communists, whoever we're, we're fighting needs to have that much attention paid to them also. Unit of the of, uh, Easy Company of the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment, before I even started working with them, I built a unit of 40 Germans. And we trained them. And, and so uh, I've, I've kind of done that through almost all of the pictures I've done. When we did Heaven and Earth, I took a unit of 30 Viet Cong uh, into the jungles um, in Thailand and, uh, and trained them. So you're, you're right and very perceptive in pointing that out because I think that's what makes some of the movies that I work on very special, that the bad guys, the enemy, are not cartoon characters. Yeah. They're serious soldiers. And then, yeah, and then you, then they're more threatening in that way, too, that they're, you know, that it's another, it, to me, that it's not just some, you know, faceless villain. Sure. It, you know, it's, it, it's someone else that has a, a girlfriend at home that he's trying to get home to, and, you know, it's, that's the reality of it. Yeah, it, it, it is indeed yes. the reality of it. But it's an element of, of making war movies that was really missing for a long, long time. So I've, I've tried to correct that also. You know, there was a recent movie, uh, Fury, that I feel like could have used your help a little bit on that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, you know, and Brad Pitt um, and I are both uh, Missouri guys. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I really wish I could have helped with that one. Uh, I pitched to work on it through a, a friend of mine who, who was the wardrobe uh, supervisor on it okay, uh, and didn't get it. Um, in fact, they didn't even talk to me, and I, I don't know why. That's crazy. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the, frankly, the first thing I would have done is, is tell Brad Pitt to grow his hair back out and stop walking around with that stupid haircut. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just takes you right out of the film, along, yeah. along with a lot of other things. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree, because a lot of people I, I, I talk to, because I, I love – uh, war films, World War II films, and a lot, a lot of people I talk to regard that movie as, uh, you know, they love it. And I, to me, watching it, you know, like I said, I compare everything to like Saving Private Ryan, and I'm like, you know, th there was just a lot of things took me out of it, as you said. Yeah, they they miss the mark, and and I've I've uh, I've heard from combat veterans, you know, that's kind of the guys I hang with these days, but. Uh, but they, they all say the same thing you do. You know, there was just so much that took them right out of it. Um, it was it was an attempt to put modern mores uh, on a on a World War Two story. And, and it didn't work. I wish it had because uh, I love the idea. Yeah. Of a, likewise. Of, a, of a small stage, you know, a tank crew, five guys. Yeah. It's in, amazing. An M, in an M4 Sherman. And you're inside the tank with them. That's a great storytelling venue. Yeah, uh, I did a I did a, a film called The Beast. Uh, we shot in Israel, which was a film about uh, Soviet tankers in Afghanistan oh, okay. in the mid 80s. Uh, and, and it was we were inside a Soviet tank with the tankers who were the actors. And, and it was it was a great experience. I had a great time uh, with it. Um, but but I think I think Fury missed the mark. Were you able to fit the, the camera crew and everything in the – how was the camera fit into the, the tank? Well, we, we did it two ways. We had a small uh, camera uh, okay. that we actually shot. It, it was back in the turret bustle, and it wasn't operated. We locked it off, and, and it was a fairly wide-angle lens, and we could see what everybody okay. was doing inside the tank. And then we built a mock-up of the inside of the turret that, that we also on a soundstage that we were oh, able sure. to so you could really get it. fly away parts of it and, and move a camera in and, and be a little less restricted. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm sure that's what they, they did something similar in fury. Yeah. Um, and then you got your, you've got, uh, your own project now, no better place to die. 
Yeah, yeah. You talk about going back to the well. Um, if you know you're a fan of Saving Private Ryan, well, this is going to be sort of the prequel. Okay. Um, this is the airborne assault that went in uh, just uh, after midnight uh, on the very early morning of D-Day with the 82nd and the 101st. Uh, in this case, I'm with the 82nd um, and uh, the 505th specifically. And uh, they took and held a vital bridge uh, over the Murderet River, the bridge at Lafayette. Uh, and um, SLA Marshall, the famed uh, his military historian, called it the bloodiest small unit battle of World War II. Oh, wow. um, and, and it literally... And this is not hyperbole. This, uh, the had they not held that bridge, um, the Germans would have blown right across it, down onto the beach, and thrown the beach assaults back into the sea. Um, and so, I, I think it's I think it's not an exaggeration to say that uh, what the paratroopers did uh, in holding those vital choke points uh, in Normandy saved D-Day. And so. I, I've always I bet I'd studied this story even before while I was still in uniform. And and I said, oh, God, it's such a great story. It's it's the epitome of what a small group of relatively leaderless guys can do if they understand the commander's intent and they're bound and determined to get it done. And they just cobble together and do it. Yes. Yeah. The PFCs and the corporals and the sergeants and the young lieutenants who do this sort of thing. Uh, and that's been my experience. And so I said, this is a this is a classic opportunity to show that. And so I wrote this script uh, called No Better Place to Die. And uh, I'm going to direct it. We're casting it now. Uh, and one of the things that uh, that I'm bound and determined to do uh, is to employ as many real veterans, uh, young guys from uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, or, or who just did uh, time in the military mm-hmm. and who want want their shot at showbiz. I mean, I get hundreds of letters and emails a week from young men and women uh, just getting out of the military who want to get into showbiz, who want to be the next Captain Die, or wow. they want to be, uh, yeah. you know, they want to be a camera operator, they want to be an actor, they want to be a writer. Um, and and showbiz is a really, really tough nut to crack. Yeah. Because there's so much money in it. And there's so many gate guards that are guarding that money and access to um, to the process that it's really hard for young guys and gals. And so I'm going to to the extent that I can, I'm going to give them their shot with no better place to die. That's amazing. That's really that's uh, that's amazing. And uh, that uh, just the the story of no better place to die was in. Were those paratroopers? Did they uh, they went in before the actual D-Day uh, invasion? Yeah, shortly after midnight oh, okay. on uh, the, on the morning of June sixth, uh, they made a night jump. Uh, the um, the um, 101st went in uh, primarily behind uh, uh, Omaha Beach and the 82nd primarily behind uh, Utah Beach, and they had to grab the choke points. Wow! And keep keep the Germans from reinforcing and mustering combat power to go down and, and resist those beach assaults. And that's what they did, despite the fact uh, that they were misdropped all over the peninsula rather than in the tight little zones where they were supposed to be. Jeez. And and the neat thing about it is, if, if you liked the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan, the, the assault on Omaha Beach. Yeah, but of course. Yeah. You're going to love the opening sequences of No Better Place to Die. <laughs> okay. Because you're in the airplane. Amazing. And we're, we're going to do gliders. And the sky is going to be full of parachutes and, and Waco and Horsa gliders and, and uh, at night. And these guys are dropping into this wall of fire that's coming up from the Germans. Um, and so I'm, I'm bound and determined to determine to create for the audience the same sort of eye-popping spectacle that we did with Saving Private Ryan on the beach assault. Wow. Well, that, I mean, that, that, that beach assault scene, I feel like has been recreated. It, <laughs> I feel like yeah. uh, the general population's idea of like what D-Day looks like comes from Saving Private Ryan. Like, well, 
what what D-Day looks like on a beach assaults. I'm going to give them what it looked like on the airborne assault. Okay, very cool. I like it. And uh, was it true, too? I mean, this is going into history a little bit, but I I remember reading somewhere that there was a a, a huge surplus of tanks somewhere off that uh, only Hitler had had the power to release, but he was, like, sleeping and no one wanted to wake him up. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the story is that um, he had several panzer divisions, up north of Normandy, uh, uh, focused on the Pas de Calais, which is the shortest uh, route across the English Channel from UK to uh, the uh, European continent. And he thought that surely would be where we would come. And of course we did, we came in Normandy. And, uh, and so when he began to get reports in Berlin of, of these assaults coming at, at Normandy, he believed it was just a feint. Oh, wow. It was a a distraction. Yeah. And so um, uh, he he refused to release those divisions until way too late. Oh, okay, Interesting. All those little facts are so cool to to hear about, you know, what if this happened or that happened? Sure. Yeah. Crazy to think about. Um, And then so you were involved in Band of Brothers, the Pacific. Are you going to be involved? I mean, I've been following for a while the. I don't know the the status of it, but Masters of the Air. Yeah, uh, I, I in fact I just finished a film in uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, with Tom Hanks uh, called Greyhound. Okay, yeah, which is which is a World War II Navy story, Battle of the North Atlantic, uh, and we we spent a lot of time on set talking about Masters of the Air, and they they're having trouble um, getting it into an affordable shape. Um, okay. It's it's hugely expensive um, because of all the CGI that's involved, computer generated imagery and, and so on and so forth. So I don't know uh, when or or how um, HBO HBO has that has owns that story and that script, okay. but I don't know when or how uh, they're going to eventually do it. I imagine they will uh, because they've got a lot of money dumped into it. But I, I don't think it'll be in the foreseeable future. Okay, yeah, because I've been following that for a while. Even I have got the book right next to me. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, super, super cool. Um, well, well, amazing. Um, let's see here. You've got your company, Warrior Inc., which is kind of, uh, it, it's kind of collection. It's it's your your company that, well, talk, can you explain Warrior Inc.? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when when I started when I started really doing well with all of this, Jake, and I realized I could make a living uh, doing it, uh, I formed Warriors Incorporated, Warriors Plural, um, as a uh, the go-to technical advisory or military advisory service to um, film and television, um, and and it you know I hired a bunch of combat veterans uh, of all services, guys I knew and trusted, uh, who began to help me. Uh, as my cadre, my non-commissioned officers, I, I organized it like a rifle company. I have an, a CO and XO, uh, uh, first sergeant and, and cadre NCOs. And uh, what I realized very quickly was that, um, you know, you you get work is spotty because mm-hmm. the, not that many military movies are made or not many television projects are, are, are uh, produced. And so uh, I said, well, look, if we're going to make this work, uh, we kind of have to uh, we kind of have to branch out. We have to be intelligent about this. And so we started doing other things. I started trying to get into other things. Uh, and we ended up doing uh, music videos. We did uh, Rooster uh, with Alice in Chains. Um, we did um, When September Comes with Green Day. Um, and we began to do um, uh, themed entertainment. We began these, to train actors these, for. Go all, ahead, all these, sorry, I'm sorry. All these music videos were military themed, I assume. Yeah, 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 right. yes, okay. yeah. yeah. Or else I wouldn't have, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't like, have yeah. been involved. But yeah, we we started doing that, and and the reputation for being able to do anything started to build. We started to do themed entertainment. Uh, we did a big uh, a big project at the Navy Pier in Chicago. We did. Uh, uh, we went to Las Vegas, uh, the Las Vegas Hilton 
was uh, had a, uh, a themed entertainment uh, ride for tourists called uh, S- uh, Star Trek The Adventure. And okay. we went up there and trained all of the actors that would be involved in it uh, to be uh, Starfleet uh, officers and petty officers. Uh, and so we started, we started doing that stuff. We started doing uh, video games. Uh, we did the entire Medal of Honor series. Sure. Uh, wow. And, uh, and so all of that was, we were, we were moving along and, and doing lots of things to keep ourselves busy. Still having an emphasis on any time a, a motion picture came up or any time a television show came up. But we, we found that we could do a bunch of things. And then um, just recently, well, a couple of years ago, um, I'm also a writer, a novelist. And uh, I decided, you know, uh, what's needed is uh, a warrior's publishing group. Let's start publishing books done by veterans. Uh, my books and and John Del Vecchio's books, the guy who did Thirteenth Valley, and and uh, and so we started that. Wow. So it's become a kind of a, a warrior's empire. Uh, I'm very proud of it. Um, but but we we look to do we look to do any way, shape, or form that we can tell the military story. We want to be involved. Wow. Well, yeah, you guys are the go-to now. I yeah. I, I, I would imagine. You're talking about you get all these letters from active or you know recently uh-huh. military uh, personnel. I, I would imagine you know someone like you who kind of set the blueprint. Now people you know see that it's possible. Where before you, I feel like you know, so like you said, someone coming from the military and wanting to be in Hollywood, they were like you know they scoffed at you. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly true, Jake, and uh, and and it's unfortunate. Uh, some of it is Hollywood's fault for being such a closed shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of it is our fault uh, as veterans for, for, not, uh, for, for not taking the shot. Uh, and and to, the, to the extent that my success uh, has inspired people to take the shot, uh, I'm happy with it. I'm delighted with it. I'll help any way I can. Are, are you familiar with Dan Carlin, hard, Hardcore History? Yes. Um, I... I can't remember where, but I've certainly heard it. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm just a big fan as well. He did he did a um, a six part series on World War One called Blueprints to Armageddon, which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. I think I saw some of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. But yeah, I I listened to all that and it inspired me to just start researching World War One because like you know you know there's such a there's so little knowledge of World War One in America. I feel yeah. I feel like in Europe, you know, it's much more present for them. But for sure. us, and and it's the it's the same with World War II. Uh, Europe has a much more vested interest in it than we do. And you know, it, it was just recently the hundredth anniversary in November of the end of uh, World War One. Yeah. Um, and and of course, there's nobody alive uh, that we can talk to who fought in it. But uh, we we put out a, a book, and uh, and made it uh, an ebook series uh, that's about World War One. And, and you're right. Uh, it's really, really an interesting conflict. And, and America yeah. was only in it for a little over a year. Sure, yeah. Uh, 1917 to 1918. But in, in UK and in France, uh, they fought since 1914. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, there's still interest in it, but I wish it was a bigger and better and more intense interest. Yeah, well, I I uh, I directed and shot a uh, a World War One short film, and oh, just to get, just to get the uh, the the American World War One uh, uniforms was so difficult oh, to get oh, them authentic because yeah. it was interesting. I had, I actually had to buy them from a company in the UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't find them. You know, and it's interesting is you can find German uniforms too easily, even World War One. You know, it, like they're so easy to to buy, but there must be more, there's just more of an interest for them, but for Tobias, yeah. yeah. It is, and, 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 and it's interesting, you know, a lot of the reenactors, um, and there's, I run hot and cold on those, but um, a lot of the reenactors uh, get all their gear from the UK, sources in the UK, because they, they make it. They make it, yeah, yeah. so interesting. Well, um, Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's been uh, it, it was amazing to to be able to, to talk to you and 
uh, like I said, you've, you've had your hand in all my favorite movies and shows. So <laughs> just well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Any uh, words of uh, uh, maybe advice for 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 people either trying to make a war movie or gonna you know just coming out in Hollywood who are were veterans? Or? Yeah, I I think I think this. Don't sell yourself short. Um, you know, veterans veterans tend to us veterans. Uh, tend to think of ourselves as of value only because, uh, you know, we did three uh, tr uh, three deployments to Afghanistan or, or three deployments to Iraq or did Iraq and Afghanistan. And so therefore we are, quote, combat veterans, end quote. That's not all you are, man or gal. That's not all you are. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got small unit leadership experience. Uh, you have a work ethic. You have reliability you have motivation, intensity, fitness, an understanding of how to work with people. All of those are really vital assets. And, and I don't give it you. If you wore a uniform, you have those assets. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't make any difference whether you wore them at war or wore them at peace. So don't sell yourself short would, would be my advice. Um, look, if you, can, if you can break down barriers uh, in the military, you can damn sure break them down in Hollywood, um, but you but you got to be persistent and you got to be hard headed and you got to be willing to, you know, live relatively low on the hog for a while mm -hmm. until you get your foot in the door. But you can get your foot in the door. Yeah, well, amazingly said. Let's, I, I think that's how to end it. OK, <laughs> yeah. hey, I really appreciate it, Dale. Really My great pleasure, talk. Jake. Nice um, talking to you, buddy. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Talk to you later. Right. If you liked this episode of The Take, please give it a good review on iTunes and subscribe. Thanks so much.